Hello. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Um, so, um, so um, we're going to also have our first is going to speak in Spanish. So you have the interpretation option um, at the bottom uh, for simultaneous translation into English. The format we're going to have is we're first going to have Mayaki Gorosito speaking from Argentina and then and speaking from the Eczema Museum. And then we will have Dr. Andre Ordendal um, speaking from Cape Town uh, regarding Robben Island. And then uh, we will conclude with Ihab Salud from the University of Amsterdam reflecting on both talks. And then we will have a Q&A with uh, you, the audience. Um, and we're very much looking forward to this uh, conversation and bringing together two sites that uh, both represent um, that have become museums, but that began their lives as prisons and as sites of rebellion and exclusion, um, uh, and both sort of culminating in the 70s and 80s uh, with the junta in Argentina and the end of apartheid in South Africa. We will begin with Miss um, uh, Mayaki Gorosito from Eczema in Argentina. Her official title is the Coordinator of International Cooperation, and she is working also with, um, with trying to get the site as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. We are going to begin with the video, um, and then uh, Mayaki will join us. Aquí, en la ESMA, estuvieron detenidos desaparecidos cerca de 5.000 hombres y mujeres, militantes políticos y sociales de organizaciones revolucionarias armadas y no armadas, trabajadores y gremialistas, estudiantes, profesionales, artistas y religiosos. La mayoría de ellos y ellas fueron arrojados vivos al mar. Aquí, en la ESMA, la Armada planificó secuestros y llevó a cabo asesinatos de manera sistemática. Aquí mantuvo a los prisioneros y prisioneras encapuchados y engrillados. Aquí les torturó. Aquí les desapareció. Aquí, en la ESMA, nacieron en cautiverio niños y niñas que fueron separados de sus madres. En su mayoría, fueron apropiados ilegalmente o robados. Muchos de ellos y ellas son los desaparecidos vivos que aún seguimos buscando. Aquí, en la ESMA, se produjo un crimen contra la humanidad.
En el año 1972, la UNESCO aprobó la Convención sobre la Protección del Patrimonio Mundial Cultural y Natural, que ha sido ratificada por 191 países. En 2015, el Estado argentino inició ante UNESCO las gestiones para que el Museo Sitio de Memoria ESMA, ex centro clandestino de detención, tortura y exterminio, sea reconocido como patrimonio mundial, patrimonio del nunca más. Otros lugares de memoria sirven como antecedente de nuestra candidatura. La isla de Goré, en Senegal, y el muelle de Balongo, en Río de Janeiro, Brasil, testimonios del comercio de esclavos. El campo de concentración y exterminio nazi Auschwitz-Birkenau, en Polonia, símbolo del holocausto. El memorial de la paz de Hiroshima, en Japón, donde se utilizó por primera vez la bomba atómica. El puente viejo, en el centro histórico de Mostar, en Bosnia y Herzegovina, expresión de la convivencia en paz después de una guerra étnica y la prisión de Robben Island en Sudáfrica, símbolo de la lucha contra el apartheid. Es una incógnita, es un desaparecido. No tiene entidad, no está. Trasladado significa en la jerga de los marinos que te vas para hablar con Natalio fusilamiento. En la ESMA era sinónimo de asesinato. Queremos saber dónde están nuestros hijos, vivos o muertos, pero queremos saber dónde están. Estar encapuchado o estar en esas condiciones era una especie de limbo en donde sobre nuestra vida solamente decidían otros. Estaba bastante organizado, no era un un lugar donde no se podía estar, simplemente tenía condiciones más duras que, este, que otras, porque bueno, porque era muy chico, porque no había aire, porque hacía mucho calor en verano y mucho frío en invierno, porque era este, muy, todo muy amontonado y fundamentalmente porque estábamos al lado del lugar donde torturaban. En el pañol, que llaman ellos pañol, donde había toda la... donde se ponía toda la ropa, era todo lo que sacaban de las casas de la gente que, había, que habían secuestrado. Digamos. Levantaban las casas, inclusive yo encontraba cosas. Encontré cosas ahí de la casa donde yo había sido secuestrada. Tratar de hacer una vida lo más normal posible, de volver a retomar las cosas que a uno le gustaban, que a uno le apasionaban. Y no siempre se lo consigue en absoluto. Pero, en fin, la tortura, por eso yo digo, comienza un día y creo que no termina nunca. Es una cosa terrible este, lo que pasó con las embarazadas, la separación de los niños. En la Escuela de Mecánica de la Armada, integrantes del grupo de tareas 3.3 decidieron incluirlos en un traslado. Traslado que todos conocemos. Consistió en aplicarles una inyección total, pentonaval, los a los aviones de la muerte. A la participación de los pilotos de la es muerte. Decir, a las víctimas de este grupo. Se les causó la muerte en forma dolosa. Fueron arrojados mar adentro. El apoyo y la participación de la comunidad y de los organismos de derechos humanos desde la inauguración del Museo Sitio de Memoria ESMA son fundamentales para presentar nuestra candidatura a UNESCO y representan el logro de más de 40 años de lucha por la memoria, la verdad y la justicia.
2019, dando continuidad a una política de Estado, el Ministerio de Justicia y la Secretaría de Derechos Humanos aprobaron nuestro plan de trabajo para proseguir las gestiones ante UNESCO. Esta presentación constituye un desafío y una oportunidad para el Museo Sitio de Memoria ESMA. Un desafío porque nos compromete como institución y como Estado argentino a velar por el mantenimiento y la preservación del lugar según los estándares de la Convención sobre la Protección del Patrimonio Mundial Cultural y Natural. Una oportunidad porque vamos a generar una amplia red de personas y actores comprometidos con nuestra profunda convicción de que la desaparición forzada de personas es un crimen de lesa humanidad que el mundo debe conocer y recordar y que el Museo Sitio de Memoria ESMA, ex centro clandestino de detención, tortura y exterminio, es un símbolo del valor del consenso social como medio para lograr justicia. Thank you for that, sharing that video with this, Mikey. Um, it's very powerful. Um, I'm going to welcome you and uh, let you carry on. Thank Gracias. you. Thank you. Thank you to all the panelists with whom I share this panel. I'm very honored to be here today. Good afternoon to all those who are listening to us and taking part. First and foremost, I would like to name on behalf of the ESMA Memory Site Museum the opportunity to meet with you all and. Uh, bring you apologies from Alejandra Naftal, our executive director, because of some unforeseen and unexpected circumstances, and especially thank the University of Abu Dhabi, all the team we've been working with in past months, as well as the New York University in Buenos Aires, Anya Gassum, Jorgelina Rosa, whose uh, fundamental help made this event possible. I would like to give continuity to the content of the institutional video for the museum's uh, candidacy to the UNESCO World Heritage List. In doing so, I would like to summarize uh, some information about our institution. The ESMA Memory Site Museum, former uh, detention, torture, and extermination uh, center is uh, the Navy Mechanics Center until 1976. This school was a prestigious education center in our city, the city of Buenos Aires, dedicated to training uh, subcommander officers in a 17-hectare plot. There were 35 buildings, including the war school, the mechanics school, the officers' canteen, and different workshops. State terrorism that unleashed in our country as from the coup d'etat uh, that took place on 24 March 1976, put a 
clandestine detention, torture, and extermination uh, center at the former ESMA school that uh, housed 5,000 uh, detainees and uh, missing persons, most of whom were murdered. The victims, men and women, were political uh, activists in different organizations, armed revolutionary and unarmed organizations as well, social, political, students, union, and religious organizations. Also whole families, children, boys, girls, people who were kidnapped because of extortion purposes, friends, relatives of those who were looked for, and anyone who would express some form of opposition would be kidnapped. The canteen uh, where the museum is now uh, housed the repression and uh, the whole plot with all the buildings I mentioned was at the service of illegal actions. These actions revolved around the forced disappearance of uh, people, which is a complex crime based on deprivation of liberty, uh, the denial of uh, detention and the refusal to... Uh, give the whereabouts of the missing person. When the democracy was recovered back in 1983, ESMA became a symbol of the crimes committed by the civic military dictatorship. After lengthy and protracted personing uh, led by the peaceful uh, uh, struggle of human rights organizations in Argentina, Argentine has just, uh, repealed the impunity laws that protected uh, those who had performed this repression and in 2016 started to bring unrestricted uh, court cases that have brought more than 900 people involved in crimes against mankind, uh, a negative ruling. Most of the lawsuits are still underway. Concurrently, all of the ESMA plot was recovered by the city, which had uh, assigned the uh, land back in 1924. Today, we have the ESMA Memory Site Museum, the spice for the promotion and defense of human rights. That is where crimes were committed and illegal actions were tolerated. Today, we uh, house the museum, the ESMA Memory Site Museum, and also offices uh, of human rights organizations and government and regional agencies. Back in 2012, the current director of the museum was entrusted with a museum project for the uh, former um, officers canteen building. And it is there where in May 2015, the ESMA Memory Site Museum was formally opened. I would like to briefly talk now about the museum's candidacy to the UNESCO World Heritage List. In this regard, I must say and underscore, first and foremost, that this candidacy is uh, put forward by the Argentinian state and that it is uh, brought before the UNESCO World Heritage Center as a representative of all memory spaces in Argentina during the civic military dictatorship that we suffered in the country, there were more than 600 of these uh, clandestine detention, torture, uh, and extermination centers. Our candidacy seeks to um, contribute to the international visibility of the two exceptional universal values it is based on, that is, values that are requested by UNESCO to admit the candidacy, our two universal exceptional values are 
one negative, that is state terrorism based on forced disappearance of persons, and the positive one, that is the value of social consensus as a means to uh, do justice and achieve justice. We also believe that this is an opportunity to underscore these values, not only in the context of their undoubtable importance as part of the Argentinian history and the history of Mercosur, but also as a contribution to the world's cultural heritage. We believe it is a historical uh, memory which belongs to Argentina, but also to Latin America and the world at large, and we have the obligation and duty to share it, teach it, and make it visible. I would like to recall that the regional context uh, symbolized by our museum was the Condor Plan that um, was used to coordinate a repression by all military dictatorships in Latin America. As I said, the museum is a symbol and it bears a witness uh, to what happened and it has to be used to build citizenship, not only nationally, but also internationally. Since 2006, an interdisciplinary team of which I'm a part uh, has been uh, developing an action plan until in June 2021, we managed the ESMA Memory Site Museum to be included uh, or to be uh, put as a candidate for the uh, UNESCO heritage list. It is a rigorous work that was done uh, committedly and uh, based on strong convictions including the dimensions that are part of this work plan. One, which is very important, is formulation of the nomination uh, or the candidacy paper. We have received notice from the UNESCO Heritage Center informing the Argentinian government and the museum that we have been uh, approved. Uh, I mean, the technical review of the case has been approved by the center and the case is already being discussed by the International Association uh, that is responsible for performing an in-depth analysis of the case and uh, inspecting the museum this year. On the other hand, a very important dimension to us is dialogue, performing activities, and gaining support from all social government uh, sectors as well as from the Argentinian Academia and uh, other sectors and academia from uh, the rest of America and the world. Along these lines, I would like to underscore that at a national level, the support received from the House of Representatives, the Senate, as well as local parliaments have been unanimously voted by all political forces. In turn, we need to articulate this work together with ministries, the Ministry for Foreign Affairs, the Ministry for Culture, Environment, and Education. Uh, in this regard, I want to underscore the work performed by Marcela Lozardo, our ambassador, who is responsible for the permanent delegation to uh, our UNESCO Paris. And we also have to develop a strategic plan that will uh, underpin Argentina's commitment to the museum. Lastly, I would like to remind you that as part of the uh, actions taken to support our candidacy to the UNESCO Heritage List 21 April last year, a virtual meeting was held called Art, Memory and Politics, organized by the New York University in Buenos Aires. Back then, 
Robert Patesius and the scored as follows, quote, the nomination of heritage sites has to do more with the future than with the past because we do so for upcoming generations, even if we have no idea what this will be like. So I think it is very important to assess the site because of what it is like today and what it will be like in future and who it will speak to in 100 or 200 years' time. This involves not con thinking of uh, heritage as something static. I hope that the nomination of the Esma Memory Site Museum will contribute and help these sites uh, be uh, bear better witness to the future, end of quote. These words summarize what we are working for at our institution, and I hope this reference will serve uh, as a means of uh, thanks and token to him and our university. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mikey. Um, and thank you for all of the, the, the questions that actually come from your statement um, when we look at um, how, who these sites belong to and how they're shared, um, um, which brings us to the other side of the world and to a site that's also um, uh, has many similarities, but also differences. Um, and that is taking us to Cape Town and South Africa's Robben Island. And um, our guest today from, uh, we are very fortunate to have with us today, the first CEO of the Robben Island Museum, um, which was formed after apartheid uh, was officially ended. And Dr. Andre Odendahl um, is also an author of uh, books that address this. He was obviously an uh, anti-apartheid activist. Um, and um, he wrote a book that came out last year called Robben Island Rainbow Dreams, the making of a democratic South Africa's first national heritage institution. Um, and I know that Buenos Aires has looked to Robben Island as they form their, their uh, statements for UNESCO. Um, and so a uh, very uh, welcome to uh, Dr. Andre. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Alia, and also to the other colleagues, Veronica, Robert, Ehab, and Nahed. And um, after that, it's lovely to join you from far away. So let me use uh, the, one of the few words I know and say shukran for, for the invitation from everyone. Um, Mikey's introduction was um, difficult even to listen to after all these years that we know about it. Um, the brutality and horror in such a short, immediate space that uh, Ismay um, celebrates today. Robin Island was a structured systemic discrimination over 342 years um, of incredible uh, also banishment, exile, imprisonment and pain, including a leper colony for something like 70 years. So it became known for its institutional brutality over a long period of time. Um, and um, like other notorious prison islands, of course, for us in Africa, Gore Island, where the slaves um, left the African continent for the last time, and um, one can name places like Guantanamo uh, today as examples of uh, these kind of places that became known, become known for their institutional um, violence, I would say. 
Um, the island's uh, notoriety grew from April 1961 to 1991 after it was hastily converted into a maximum security prison. So um, as opposed to the 5,000 people in Argentina who were mostly all killed, there were some 3,500 freedom fighters who were rounded up and sent in shackles uh, to the island for their opposition to apartheid. And the aim of the prison was to both break the morale of the prisoners and also, of course, the resistance that was starting to grow against apartheid um, in a serious way um, after the terrible Sharpeville massacre in 1960 and the uh, banning of organizations as part of that clampdown. Uh, what was particularly obnoxious about this place is that all the warders were white and all the prisoners were black. Uh, people in the early days in particular suffered um, unspeakable um, uh, humiliation as well, being buried up to their neck and urinated on, um, being called all sorts of names, being made to work in the stone quarry Sometimes barefoot, the poet Dennis Brutus reminds us on sharp rocks in this very cold Atlantic Ocean. And um, the food matched the conditions. Uh, African prisoners, um, in accordance with apartheid, uh, could get bread only once a year at Christmas time. Otherwise, it was porridge for breakfast and supper. And um, in clothing as well, they were differentiated against um, other um, black prisoners as well from different um, ethnic groups, um, wearing uh, no underclothes, uh, shorts, um, sandals, and so on. The, I noticed how the ex-prisoner on the previous um, clip spoke about the cold. The prisoner spoke about the terrible cold there. They slept on the floor very cold, wet winters where the rain comes from in Cape Town, and uh, thin mats with two blankets. There was censorship, one visit every six months, uh, letters that looked like uh, windows cut out uh, in any reference to anything happening in day-to-day -day life besides family matters and so on. So... Um, it was a place made to break people and the struggle. But as we all know, it became a place also of life, resilience, growth, and imagination. Robben Island, unlike what we've just heard about Argentina, was a place that had a ballroom dancing champion, for instance, amongst the prisoners. People organized sport, even though they were refused originally. Artworks and creativity uh, together with collective action. There's a book on uh, political prisoners in Czechoslovakia, which shows the isolation and the uh, tremendous personal um, suffering over 20 years through that isolation. In Robben Island, it became the university of struggle. People were next to each other in solidarity. And um, one of the uh, most amazing things about it was um, the genius, really, of the South African struggle was that despite the huge indignities visited on the oppressed and the narrow racialized mindset of the power structure under which the majority of South Africans lived during apartheid, 
they still managed to assert their humanity and imagination of an inclusive future based on Ubuntu, I am a person because of you, respect, inclusivity, and universal values in a very in powerful ways that ultimately changed the country. So the key to survival there was the way in which they stood together in solidarity. There was an informal code of conduct which reminded people that at all times they must advance the cause of the struggle. So some of Nelson Mandela's uh, co-prisoners, for instance, uh, Walter Sisulu was known to give a prisoner who had nothing, you know, the toothbrushes of his comrades and so on, who had what he regarded as a lot. They shared everything. And Mandela noted that the prison constitutes its own society, even if inmates are coerced into membership, and therefore to maintain their dignity and beliefs individually and organizationally, they set out to create an own world within a world. And I think this aspect of the Robben Island experience is particularly important, given also how the museum um, arose. So the prison is above all punitive. It operates to break the human spirit, to exploit human weakness, undermine human strength, destroy initiative, individuality, negate intelligence and process an amorphous robot-like mass. So you get a number there and you lose your name. The great challenge, he said, uh, Mandela, is how to resist, not how to adjust, but to keep intact the knowledge of society outside and live by its rules, for that is the only way to maintain the human and social within you. So in the course of the 30 years, the prisoners, through their resistance and standing together uh, in these deprived environments, sharing everything, eventually came in a, in a way almost to run the prison and eventually to emerge from there to become leaders of the new country. Uh, more than half the members of the ANC in the first parliament in 1994, uh, after democracy, had been on Robben Island. And um, so out of that experience, um, in a place in a hellhole where people were supposed to be broken, but they liked to... Um, the narrative uh, that came out of that was the triumph of the human spirit. And um, Ahmed Katrada summed this up by saying, we will not forget the brutality of apartheid. We do not, while we will not forget it, we will not want Robben Island to be a monument of our hardship and suffering. We want it to be a monument reflecting the triumph of the human spirit against the forces of evil, a triumph of freedom and human dignity over oppression, and humiliation, a triumph of wisdom and largeness of spirit against small minds and pettiness, a triumph of courage and determination over human frailty and weakness, a triumph of non-racialism over bigotry and intolerance, a triumph of the new South Africa over the old. So that um, is the context that um, we were lucky to be given the task in, in 1996 to set up, um, to, when the prison closed, to set up Robben Island Museum as a national museum and eventually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And the profoundness of that moment, given the experiences that South Africa was going through, uh, there was a, 
um, the official aim in in, in um, you know in tune with the spirit of our new democracy was the opposite of control and darkness and and violence to nurture creativity and innovation and contribute to socio-economic development, the transformation of South African society, a highly skewed 342-year-old racist colonial society and unequal in every way, um, and also to promote the enrichment of humanity, the universal views once again. Although it was a national liberation struggle, people saw themselves in a universal sense of trying to build something new which is what made uh, living and working in that time um, an absolute um, amazing thing. So for us who worked on Robben Island, who were given that task um, literally to take the prison key out of my pocket on the 1st of December and give it to an ex-prisoner and a child to symbolically throw open the prison doors, uh, was quite uh, beyond kind of being able to explain in terms of um, the profoundness for all of us and also the profoundness of um, throwing open the prison doors in that symbolic way. One small step towards healing and to change in South Africa as we saw it then. And um, we had to do it in a very modest way, which is part of how we created um, meaning. Uh, literally, because prisoners missed the voices and the sounds of children, some did not touch a child for 16, 20 years. They can imagine that deprivation, but they heard these voices in the distance sometimes and had this tremendous um, longing uh, for, for children to be part of this new setup. So an ex-prisoner together with children turned that lock and there was the pitter-patter of bare feet into a place that for 342 years had been so exclusionary and, and closed. Um, also, another example of that um, symbolism, working with that symbolism rather perhaps than concentrating on marketing this beautiful island in the bay and trying to uh, compete, you know, compete with the Smithsonian's who compared to our 20 million rand, which is about $2 million, um, you know, built the Holocaust Museum for $200 million in six years, and the African-American Museum, the beautiful one run by um, Lonnie Bunch now, uh, cost $800 million and took eight years to create. We had to take over that island in a matter of a few months uh, using what we had, and the, that meaning was created by the ex-prisoners. Uh, for instance, when we opened the island in, th in three months, given the demand for access to the place where prisoners had been kept, we did it by using the prison boats, by taking, um, using the ex-prison warders, in fact, as part of this uh, reconciliation that was being, you know, part of Mandela's Rainbow Nation dream. Um, and, and then um, having the ex-prisoners take the people through uh, the island and explain personally to them. And um, the notion of a pilgrimage was built into that. So 
We do not have waterways in South Africa, rivers that go inland. So for many people getting on a boat for the first time, going into beautiful Table Bay uh, was a very profound experience so that your crossing and then your experience there and your return, uh, this, um, um, you know, um, takes you out of your normal comfort zone, makes you think of the experience and hopefully come back um, understanding the um, inclusivity that we were trying to build. Um, so that's briefly, um, you know, some of the feelings um, that we had at that, at that, uh, at, in those first years. The, um, the soft aspect, again, um, of creating this meaning for us happened through creativity. Um, at the core of our actions were educational programs for school children as a particular uh, priority, cultural activities, including writers and artists in, re in residence, joint projects with community groups. Um, for instance, um, when the island was set up, some of the proposals were that uh, children should be, uh, street children should be sent there so that it can be a work farm where they could be productively engaged and disciplined. For us, part of our programs was to bring school children on this amazing journey at that time to the island and to spend a weekend with them um, and, and uh, support groups uh, doing artwork and craft and, and healing activities for children who had nowhere to stay. That was the kind of um, mindset behind us. Our, our, one of our four core essences was lifelong learning and critical debate. And we wanted to introduce that into Robben Island as, an, as a learning institution, not just a site uh, or a place where tourists came to visit, but uh, learning at the core um, of of the experience. And we worked with local universities, for instance, in a country where black people had never been managers in museums to start uh, heritage training projects with local uh, museums. Also because access is difficult, um, a part of our community was to take, take um, uh, the Robben Island on the Move exhibitions to schools and to different provinces and so on. So the whole thing of engagement with the community was very crucial to us. I'm going to have to do it quite shortly now, not be able to go into that. But we had, for instance, artists in residence coming to stay on the island for up to three weeks. And the artworks that were created there were used as calendars, became part of exhibitions and um, we had uh, great writers like Ariel Dorfman and uh, Wallace Yinke coming who wanted to start an African Writers Parliament on Robben Island, which we thought was a wonderful idea. Uh, Dorfman said that people should be able to run naked down to the harbor if they wanted to. That wasn't going to happen under our watch, but it was the right idea in terms of opening up the space that had been closed for three centuries. Uh, in terms of the socio-economic aspect, which is one of the issues that Alia asked us to speak about, um, 
as I said, 20 million rand in a few months were to take over the island and, cre- and build an organization in a working progress kind of way. And, um, but we had to therefore be very careful how we try to create the balance between running a 480-hectare island with 100 houses on it, the size of the city centre of Cape Town, um, bringing tourists to it because there was a massive, um, a massive demand to go out to the island. And uh, using the model again, I remember, or we've written about at the time, that for every um, dollar spent at the Smithsonian, an additional $16 uh, dollars were pumped into the local economy. And by this measurement, we had a million visitors within five years we raised money to build our own gateway building on the mainland for 45 million rand. Uh, we created a thousand job opportunities. We um, we trained 300 people who emerged with graduate uh, um, qualifications in heritage and so on. So there was that emphasis that we had to do that. And but the original plan was very much that it is a living museum around which we think and debate and develop uh, towards new identities and cultural expressions in a space that had been totally closed. Um, Unfortunately for us, um, with the ex-prisoners always um, at the forefront of our thinking, and the Robben Island Memories Program, where people were interviewed, brought back in 25 um, or 36, in fact, um, work groups. People who lived in certain areas of the prison were brought out together and spent a weekend on the island to um, remember their memories and be asked how things were done and how they should be done. And um, also in the creation of displays, um, unfortunately, in after five years, um, there we had a, a rupture, I would say, caused by uh, dissension of uh, you know that emerged from also from conflicts within the ex-political prisoner ranks, um, and we write about this in the book. Um, I resigned at that stage rather than be forced to change a contract for a ferry operation in midterm to disadvantage the museum and advantage certain people, for instance. And um, we maintain in our book that this was a pilot case for the later state capture that has so tarnished South Africa's uh, legacy of struggle in the last 10 years. Um, and that was something that we. Um, experienced in 2002-03, and the unfortunate result of that was that the educational kind of initiative and base of the museum was undermined. It became a place that became politically controlled, um, much more, uh, a lot of projects fell away, publishing fell away, and um, I think it's commonly acknowledged now that the museum, um, you know, went into a into a, a, a sort of um, 
period of uh, of instability, which um, today's um, leadership is still trying very hard to get out of. But basically, what we realized, I think, the lesson we learned is you don't destabilize an institution and then just uh, put it up again. Uh, you know, by filling in a flip chart and appointing a few more new people. It takes time to build an institution and institutions need to be nurtured and and um, and protected. So let me let let me end it at uh, at that point and uh, see if there are any questions. Thank you very much. Oh, could I just show you Alia? Sorry, I've got a... Yes. Yeah. It'll be very quick. Uh, okay. If I could just show you um, some of the pictures, I'll do it. Robin Island is uh, 500 hectares in the middle of Table Bay, spectacular sights towards Table Mountain. And um, sorry, I'll get, I'll take just two minutes to finish. So there was the kind of, that was Robin Island opening in 1961. It was uh, very much a kind of colonial kind of, you know, uniforms and guns and uh, prisoners being brought off boats, uh, really reminiscent of a kind of slave <clears throat> narrative of people chained together, being brought off the boat and uh, forced into a prison that to more or less build themselves. And this is the B section where the most well-known prisoners were kept. And obviously people worked very hard in... Um, in different um, quarries and so on during those times. So for us, it was to for those people who'd come to Robin Island in chains to come back and to open the doors with us uh, on that day. This is Kwedim Kalipi, a Pan-Africanist Congress prisoner. You can just see the absolute joy and, and amazingness of that day in that picture. Um, And that is uh, me welcoming the ex-prisoners onto the island and then walking, very simple but very beautiful moment, walking up to the prison to open the prison doors. And there are uh, Lizo Nungwana, uh, a wonderful man who'd been there and uh, was now helping the children open the doors symbolically with the ex-prisoner, political prisoner representatives there. And you can see the presence of children. Um, that's that's me there, if I may say, and uh, my son who was two and the children of ex-political prisoners over here. And there you are now in this uh, <clears throat> place of pain being opened up um, and the ex-prisoners now reclaiming the narrative and telling the story from their perspective after all those years. It was a very, very profound experience for us all. And the idea of the rainbow dream for us was not some impossible 
mirage that we were in search of. It was about um, a country that came together in which the fundamental transformation happened. And this was our poster for Millennium, for Millennium Night uh, 2000 on Robben Island where we had the Millennium Celebrations. And to me, that represented the aesthetic, the beauty, and the rainbow dreams that we were talking about. Um, that, that show um, went on to more than a, well over a thousand performances in um, New York, London, China, India, and many other places after its debut performance on Robben Island on that night. And that again is how we use the heritage and legacy um, in ways that could also contribute socially and economically, I would say. And at midnight, while the cacophony of thousands of tons of fireworks went off all around the world, at 12 o'clock, Nelson Mandela stood in his soul with a flickering candle to greet the next 1,000 years. It was a time of incredible um, optimism and hope in which we believed we could, uh, you know, do things. We were incredibly productive, 20 books on Robben Island that were brought out. So for me, any cultural project that deals with legacy must also uh, bring out artworks, bring out books, bring out films because of the need for people's experiences to be recognized and so on. Uh, also, we were involved in changing the iconography in the South African Parliament, all the old apartheid signs coming off, and the world apartheid against the world artists against apartheid exhibition coming in its place. Um, I'll have to end there. So we, but also this one I love because it was about children and the beautiful space for children to learn. We had a little school on Robben Island, and it's very very heavy weather there. Um, so we had two shipwrecks during my time and the school would then be bundled into transport to go and see the rescue operation happening. And if there was a penguins being collected uh, to protect them, the children would be involved. It was a wonderful learning environment for children as we try to create a new culture and a new um, identity for us as South Africans, not an identity, but identities which were liberated. Um, and you can see, yeah, spiritually, churches, uh, uh, mosques, and other people, also traditionalists, um, traditional religion people um, coming to the island to uh, slaughter a goat to appease the ancestors. It was a very profound experience for people to come into that space of pain. Um, people would burst into tears in staff meetings and um, at meetings like this. These are archbishops and so on. We had, yeah, also, of course, all the people, because Mandela had been there uh, from the Secretary General to Castro and Clinton, Yasser Arafat coming to the Kramat on Robben Island, where um, 250 years earlier, 
um, uh, political prisoners from Indonesia had been kept by the Dutch and so on. Um, the many levels at which Robben Island uh, had to operate as we developed this organization come out in some of these pictures. And of course, when Nelson Mandela arrived for the first time on the island, he had no bodyguards. He came and posed with us all. And that was almost um, this kind of dream of, of freedom that we had then. Uh, it didn't take long before the presidents arrived with many bodyguards and uh, kept people away from them and so on. Uh, but the dream of freedom and um, and liberating the space and healing it of pain through education and um, cultural togetherness was very strong. Also in South Africa, where there'd been no black museologists, suddenly we had a whole new, our staff was effectively the new demographic of South Africa, you know, an inversion of the 95%, 5% of the past. So I'll end, where shall I end this? Oh, this is beautiful. So the prisoners, when they came back, would give us, tell us what things had meaning for them. And so there's a person who, developed, who donated his shoes, that a fellow prisoner had put rabbit fur in because he had arthritis in those cold winters, and, um, and those shoes meant a lot to him. The, the triumph of the human spirit, so just with a few pieces of cement paper, uh, cement bag paper, you did a chess set, and this is a beautiful belt um, created from uh, material picked up on the island by prisoners. Thank you, Alia. I'll end there so that I don't abuse your time. Thanks. for that presentation. Um, and it gives a lot to think about that mix of uh, tragedy and when it started, the joy you saw in rebuilding it and the sorrow you now feel about what's happened. It comes through very, uh, very clearly. Um, I And on that note, I know we have some questions and I, I also uh, apologize to some of the younger people in the audience that may not have studied the juntas and apartheid yet and are being a little bit having the historical context um, not there for them, um, as I'm seeing in some of the questions in the chat. But I think the idea of trauma and suffering is something we all recognize in present day situations as well, and how do you remember that? Which brings me to our final uh, speaker, is, who is Dr. Ihab Salul, who's going to reflect on, um, on what both our speakers have, say, have been saying, and um, this is at the heart of so much of his work. He does work in Argentina, um, but he is uh, the co-founder and research director of the Amsterdam School of Heritage, Memory, and Material Culture at the University of Amsterdam, and a professor of memory and narrative at the International Center for Advanced Studies in the Human Humanities, Umberto Eco at the University of Bologna. And he's the editor of two book series, Heritage and Memory Studies from Amsterdam University Press and the Palgrave Studies in Cultural Heritage and Conflict. Um, and he has, as I said, worked in Argentina, but also many other places. So um, Dr. Rehab, um, welcome. Okay. Thank you, Alia. 
for this uh, generous introduction uh, and welcome to all of you. Um, I will uh, spend the next few minutes actually to reflect a tiny bit on some of the uh, issues that Andre and uh, Micah presented about the, these two um, um, amazing uh, sites of memory and why they're, and I will say why they're amazing and how actually some of the issues that we are dealing with in terms of uh, the relationship between sites of memory and how actually they can be transformed into what I call uh, heritage sites of trauma. Um, before I uh, say um, I go into the topic, uh, maybe it's good to mention that actually I direct the Amsterdam School for Heritage Memory and Material Culture. This is a research institute and a doctoral school actually that combines um, several uh, disciplines uh, from museum studies, heritage memory studies, uh, post-colonial studies, media, art, archaeology. Uh, so there's a, a wide range of disciplinary background uh, um, within this school. Uh, currently, the school hosts more than 100 uh, PhD students and several uh, postdoc projects and other uh, senior uh, members. Uh, so the work that we do is actually diverse around several uh, themes uh, um, ranging from museums and memorials to uh, heritage and conflict to transnational uh, memory narratives uh, into digitality and the whole digital turn in heritage and memory studies and also the relationship to materiality and material cultural studies. Uh, so the whole relationship to archaeological finds, traces, etc. Uh, I think um, um, these bringing these two sites, the ISMA site and the Robben Island site next to each other is actually a very good and learning experience for both, I think, um, uh, exactly because both of them are uh, representing uh, horrific sites of memory of trauma and suffering. And, um, and as I said, Actually, the challenge, this is almost not questionable, this kind of history. The challenge is actually how do we transform or how can we rethink uh, these sites of memories uh, or these sites of sufferings uh, and trauma into heritage sites and how can they transform into that kind of uh, tangible entity. Um, of course, that takes a lot of work, as we heard from Andre's um, uh, presentation in, in the case of Robben Island and also from Mikey's. It takes a lot of work in terms of social and political consensus, which is available. Um, but also, there are several theoretical uh, questions that come also with this kind of work. Our theoretical conceptual frameworks that actually we are uh, dealing with when we are thinking about... Um, how do we uh, deal with memorial centers or memorial sites of, of trauma? Uh, some of these questions, I will just mention them uh, briefly, is actually how do we um, uh, consider, for example, uh, the moral and the ethical questions around inclusions, around uh, exclusion, around the, the several aspects of authenticity, for example, uh, in relation, for example, to um, the whole um, representation of different or sometimes competing or contested narratives of uh, victimhood and perpetration and also uh, survival in generations after. So I think um, the work, uh, the work what ESMA and uh, what uh, Robin Island has done can be also exemplary to uh, the work that ESMA is doing now exactly because they are moving a step forward 
to become a UNESCO heritage site. And actually, um, uh, I know that they are involved in some of these processes. And maybe the key word that I want to bring uh, uh, into our discussion today is uh, is what we call the intersectional or the intersectorial uh, uh, network and learning from each other. So actually, this is at the heart of my project with ESMA uh, today, is that actually we try from, let's say, to bridge the gap between the theory of heritage and the practice of heritage uh, and how actually we can learn uh, from each other, both exchanging in terms of uh, knowledge exchange and transfer, but also in terms of developing uh, new ways and a new understandings in terms of the, uh, the academic, but also of the professional practice of her heritage and memory. So we are engaged in several in several activities with uh, uh, some of these sites uh, in Argentina, ISMA, and other sites. So to rethink actually some of the uh, the relationship, for example, between heritage, trauma, and memory, uh, uh, art. What is the role of art and performing um, and performance, for example? How can we engage, for example, uh, new social subjects? And actually, how can we develop um, uh, let's say more engagement from community and local uh, 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 narratives. Uh, so these are the, some of in in general lines that I'm just presenting for our discussion later on. Um, that actually some of the topics they, that we are dealing with, moving from how do we tell the story on the site, how do we engage more actors or uh, social actors in in these stories. And I think, uh, as I said, I'm fascinated by the work that has been done by Andre and Robin Island because uh, through their history, they have developed uh, these steps uh, um, over the years. So it takes time actually to, do, to develop this fully fledged, uh, uh, let's say, plan for how to, to cover all the aspects that you need in, in your museum or your heritage site uh, in relation to uh, within working within and also working with other actors uh, in the field. Uh, the issue of uh, tourism, for example, is very important, I think. Um, and also what uh, Andre mentioned about this whole idea of competing stakeholders, uh, that in almost in every site of memory, there's a lot of different stakeholders involved in the process of the making of the site, but also in the uh, functioning and the management of the site. Uh, however, I think for Argentina, for ESMA, the, there's, uh, as I said, a great social and political consensus around this topic. So the, that aspect is, uh, is a bit um, uh, clear, at least to work with uh, from a heritage and memory perspective. The difference, however, maybe, maybe one of the main differences between the Robben Island and the ESMA side is what we call actually with the whole idea of witnessing and the relationship to archives and the relationship to traces. As you saw from uh, Andre's uh, presentation, for example, we have material, uh, uh, um, material objects, for example, uh, that actually um, uh, are available on the island and that have been used as part of the musealization of the island. And I will say something about musealization in a minute. Um, but actually, in the case of ESMA, what makes this uh, place is so uh, um, specific and also so exciting to work with is that almost the archives and the whole traces are made up of stories of survival. So, for example, in, uh, in Robben Island, 
the ex-prisoners uh, played a role in or maybe come, came to visit back the site of the suffering, while actually in Argentina we are dealing with almost the whole, the whole case of the disappeared, that actually these victims uh, do not have the chance to come back. What we are dealing with is that their families or the survivors of the future generations are the, are the one who have the mission, let's say, to activate this site. So this is a huge difference in terms of uh, archiving and in terms of traces of violence and how do we deal with that. So this is an important topic, I think, that also can, um, can be taken to our discussion in relation to how do we deal with different uh, stories uh, on this site or multi-layered uh, landscapes or multi-layered narratives in relation to victims, to perpetrators, and to survivors afterwards. Uh, of course, uh, this takes a lot of work also in relation to what we call the whole national discourse of violence and how do you link that with the whole transnational uh, uh, knowledge of this uh, kind of uh, story or episode of violence. Uh, and also the other, uh, the other, of course, um, big question is actually how do we deal with the official narrative, let's say the ministerial or the governmental narrative of the site, and also how do we integrate that with what we call local or counter memories uh, or counter narratives that actually are not part of the official story of the site. So I think some of the questioning or some of the challenges that uh, can be directed to working with these sites. Um, as I said, um, it can be also a very good learning experience to bring these two uh, different cases in a comparative lens and to try to understand some of the processes that have been, for example, uh, done in Robben Island or other uh, sites of uh, memory, let's say the Auschwitz or other uh, places of suffering. And also, I think that will be very uh, important for ISMA to consider some of these uh, processes of how to work with them. With regard to musealization, and this is what I will end up with, actually, uh, my reflection. One of the key uh, elements that we are discussing in our project around this topic of memory, heritage, and trauma, and the relationship to uh, social and cultural and artistic practices, is that we are actually functioning from uh, a particular perspective of memory. For example, what we are trying to argue in this, uh, in this kind of approach is that for memory to be active or even activated for that matter and to have a, transmor a transformative uh, uh, impact, it must not be musicalized and frozen in uh, um, particular cultural or artistic or uh, socio-political discourses. Instead, what the uh, memory must be able to reach to new kinds of uh, social actors and must also uh, develop new forms or creative forms of interaction with political, social, and cultural sectors in different contexts. So actually the whole idea of this whole uh, of this whole topic around heritage and memory of suffering and uh, places of suffering and trauma is to think of a dynamic approach toward of memory construction and also as a uh, as a, a memory as a process of meaning of meaning construction and reconfiguration at the same time so it's not just about articulation of memory but it's also about changing how actually these memories are continuously changing in the present and the future. 
The whole idea of working with future generations is also very important, I think, in the case of ISMA and in the case of several sites. So, for example, we have been also thinking about this whole notion of education and pedagogy and how do we tell actually historical narratives in the present. Uh, as you see, like there's the official uh, history books that we are uh, being uh, taught in the classrooms, for example, but also with new knowledge and new, uh, for example, think about the whole colonial heritage, for example. Now we have uh, a new knowledge and new uh, narratives of colonialism. And how do you integrate that, for example, in pedagogy and education, schooling, uh, children's schools, etc.? So this is, I think, very important uh, question that we can take into our discussion uh, to actually maybe to see how actually not just we are busy with representing the past uh, in relation to the present, but also we want to engage more or how do we teach this kind of history, uh, uh, traumatic history in the present and the future for other generations. Thank you very much. Mali, I'm done. I got it. So you gave us a lot to think about. I was writing down notes. Um, and, but yeah, that, and, and I think there's a lot um, of, uh, uh, I think a lot of times we think about trauma sites that are happening right now and what is our role in, in remembering now for what inshallah will not be the trauma one day um, or will not be the conflict it is at the moment, let's say. No, um, I, um, I'm kind I think there's questions that, um, are, are coming in that I want to address, but I think, um, I'm going to start with this one from Jean-Louis, um, Robin Island and Exma are excellent cases with many lessons to learn from for human history. However, the issue is whether the kind, these, these kinds of sites fall under the scope of World Heritage Convention. Inscription of Robben Island was very controversial, and it is mainly the outstanding experience of Nelson Mandela that made the site an example of justice and reconciliation. Let's look for the truth and reconciliation. So I think this is something that Exma is um, dealing with at the moment. Also, the idea of why should this be a site um, uh, a World Heritage Site, and is that even necessary or helpful? And Mikey's ready to talk. I see her hand up. Um, Mikey, please. Gracias, Alia. No, quería hacer una referencia justamente a eso. Eh, en este momento se están llevando adelante los debates en, en el seno del Centro del Patrimonio Mundial respecto as to the type of inclusion or the type of criteria that the inclusion should take into account of memory sites or trauma memory sites, recent sites in their UNESCO uh, heritage. Until a short time, very few months ago, a document was going, uh, was going around referred to by the World Heritage that suggested or proposed not to allow the inclusion of more memory sites into the list of UNESCO mm, memory 
um, sites for our work of candidacy for the LIT Plus, the UNESCO uh, sites. It is very important to participate in these debates because we believe this is essential to keep including memory sites into the UNESCO heritage list on how we conceive the heritage as something live, something that belongs to the community, something that has to be diverse and has to contribute to the promotion and defense of human rights. On the one hand, this on the one hand, and if you allow me, Alia, I would also like to say that as he have said, our consensus is essential for this work, not only for candidacy, but for the creation of the museum itself. Before being opened, the museum was presented more than 200 times by the team to different sectors of the Argentine society and mainly to the survivors of the former ESMA, the former clandestine center of detention, torture, and extermination. Our center has a very deep relationship with the survivors of the museum. And also, we try to generate debates related to the present time and the agendas, precisely the agendas tomorrow, March 8th, to the agendas of feminism or the agenda of a green tide that we call it say in Argentina, Marea Verde, to reflect and to give visibility to all sexual crimes performed in the former clandestine center of detention. And for that, we work together with the women survivors of our center. Thank you, Alia. Thank you. Um, I, I think that I, Andre and Iha probably both want to respond to that. Um, Andre, I, I because as 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 the as our questioner asked in the chat, you know there is some issue about whether Robin Island should yeah, have been a just, heritage site. Um, if you can give that question to me just now, I will do it. I wanted to Siraj Rasul mention that the World Heritage Site status that Robben Island got has actually complicated its existence because there are 23 laws now that we have to, that Robben Island has to adhere to in terms of conservation and ticking boxes and so on. And that, that the, the fact that the site has now become a World Heritage Site more than perhaps the living museum that uh, people... Uh, you know, focused and involved, um, as it's been affected by that status. The demands of maintaining the uh, level demanded by World Heritage Site status, and that in fact um, that has perhaps um, taken the museum in the direction more of becoming a tourism site rather than a, a place that deals with meaning and memory um, that much. And also, um, given the depression that I think, uh, and chaos and corruption and uh, terrible political um, <clears throat> uh, performances of our country in the last while, I think um, it's also the whole notion of the triumph of the human spirit is undermined so that the brand of Robin Island that, you know, what it tried to stand for in the 1980s, the 90s is, is very, um, is, is, is 
massively undermined. And there seems to be a tendency. Um, there's a new CEO, um, uh, Abigail Tulare, who started uh, three months ago. She's a wonderfully competent and uh, really forward-looking person. Um, and hopefully she will be able to pull together from the immense complexity of the situation at the moment, uh, the museum into a future direction, you know, the 21st century identity of the museum. But it's going to be very difficult to take it back from a tourism-oriented, income-generating situation, which um, could perhaps still be like that as a World Heritage Site, but it does affect the kind of... Um, theoretical and um, learning aspects that we started off with, I would say. So um, there's also a demand by uh, some ex-prisoners that the site gets handed over to them and the Department of Trade and Industry so that you can have all sorts of commercial activities uh, there to maximize income at a time when people are in very distressed economic circumstances. Um, you know, 60% of young South Africans out of work and so on. So you have these contestations now. As a result, a lot, uh, uh, as a result of the vacuum that was created by the instability that the institution went through. It's also understandable in a generational sense after 30 years, this is now the dominant feeling out there. So there's contestation on those levels. Um, thanks. Yeah, I think. Right. Thank you, Andre, for that. Um, Ihab, did you want to address that one? Yeah, maybe just briefly. I share uh, Andre's sentiment, actually, and I uh, towards UNESCO, the whole move to UNESCO and World Heritage Site, because uh, at least I speak about it as a theoretical, um, um, as a theoretician or an academic. So I see actually the limitations, you know, like it's an aspiration to be, uh, it's good to aspire to be a world heritage, but it doesn't come with its own, without problems, you see? And it changes also the conceptual framework of the, of the place itself. So actually for the institution, it's good to be aware, for example, for ESMA, it's good to be aware of some of the, these limitations and maybe to be prepared also how to deal with them in the long term, because this is, as Andre said, is will influence both the institution, but also the concept of the institution. Uh, so I think it's important, it's, it's good to do that. It's good to be on the World Heritage side. And I think for Argentina, this is very important to do that, especially for that episode of history. Um, but I think uh, as an institution, it takes some thinking actually how we can deal with that kind of move, to move from the site of memory and consciousness, for example, into a heritage World Heritage Site. So it's good to uh, to understand that UNESCO is not always the you know like the how do you say that the magic button that that can solve everything, and especially in relation to tourism. But I think there's uh, there's actually something positive about ISMA site itself because the site is the school site. It's not just the torture place of the museum. And in that school site, what they have done, uh, uh, Andre, or what they have, is that they accommodated a lot of institutions. So there is a lot of sectors within that society that are represented and they're not per se 
like organizations, etc., movements, they are not per se musealized or they don't need to be musealized. So the kind of the spatial, unlike Robben Island, which is like a kind of a whole uh, spot, let's say, uh, Isma had the um, uh, 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 occupies a one uh, part of that whole school, and there. The other side of the school actually is occupied or, let's say, uh, functions with a different organization. So maybe that can be also another element, not just to bridge the gap and to collaborate more with these institutions, but in case they become World Heritage Site, I think it can also be very useful for them to, uh, let's say, to distinguish the museum from the other organizations. So my, that might be a kind of positive development that can help them to overcome some of the limitations of UNESCO. Mm. Um, but I, I will think, talk. <laughs> no, no, I think that that's, I mean, and it, it, I'm going to kind of sum up the, because building on what you've just said, and all three of you, I'm going to sum up the some of the questions into, I think, a question about this idea of you know, you see what happens, and if it becomes UNESCO World Site, what if happens as a tourism site? Like a lot of people go to Robin Island now because it's fun and it's pretty, and it's so there's a lot of um, detachment from its original purpose for being a heritage site, and that the trauma. So apartheid is gone, but the trauma of apartheid still exists, and the junta is gone in Argentina. But if we look at Latin America, we still see. Um, dictatorships and we still see uh, repressive regimes. So um, what are the roles, what are the roles of these sites to be windows into, what responsibility do they have to the present? And, and I don't know who would like to address that. Hi. Yeah, I'll, I'll try just a, a sentence or two without pretending <laughs> it's of any value. But it's really, um, for me, uh, the unfulfilled uh, vision that we had, um, I think, invites us to go back um, to re-examine what went wrong. But this time, acknowledging the change context, where new generation of imaginations, ideas, actions, loyalties, and languages must be engaged with. So to hang on to the old master narrative is a futile exercise. And we've had a very dynamic student um, Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, and uh, the priorities are different and the imaginations today are different politically and culturally uh, to what they were in the 90s. And how does one, and that's where EAB's uh, intersectionality comes into play. How does one create these multiple uh, spaces for multiple engagements? I think that's a challenge. And for me, culture is a wonderful way of doing it. Because when you see an artwork and you listen to a musical composition, for instance, on Robben Island, um, one ex-prisoner um, built a saxophone from flotsam and jetsam and played music on it even a few years later. And when we started, when we launched uh, um, the museum, one of our artists played a piece called Foghorn um, from dried seaweed on the island as a flute and so on. And, you know, you then start transcending in all sorts of imaginative ways the kind of a political position and so on by having 
this kind of activity going there and and it must relate to the young people and i think um you know uh, ms tulare is a, a very very switched on person we are also living in a in a time of uh, the fourth industrial revolution and how do you sort of engage with younger people in that time is is another big issue Yeah, did you want to say something? Um, okay. No, actually, I just wanted to say that this whole idea of flexibility of the institution is very important and actually will be crucial to the success and the failure of this. Because usually with musicalization or the fixation, of, it's difficult to escape that part. Yeah, so musicalization is always part of it. Uh, but comes with uh, musicalization also a kind of fixation of narrative so it takes actually on the behalf of the institute some kind of open mindedness uh, to be actually thinking about how can i keep both my mission let's say that serves the heritage site as a kind of commodified musicalized heritage site but also how can i also reserve especially in the case of argentina Tina Michael because you talked about the survivors and the emotional relationship to the survivors this is also very important because these were the main force behind ISMA all throughout these years so as an institution if that happens it takes also some uh, work on your side to think actually how can i keep this place as a site of reflection as a site of uh, learning for example yeah it also Uh, with an eye on what's happening, uh, not just what happened in the past, but also in future political violence cases, etc., as you said, in Latin America. So this, can, this I think, the institution um, um, should be prepared to work with different uh, strategic missions and to try to protect its actually conceptual strategic mission. With all regret, it, uh, all these heritage sites, even Auschwitz, even the most visible sites, yeah, in many ways, they uh, uh, throughout the years, as Andre knows, become actually places of fetishism, yeah, and actually the history, it becomes like a niche, you know, like also even um, uh, tourism is very important for financial reasons, but of uh, course, productive force. But it can also ruin ruin your site, you see. So it's it's all it has. It's a kind of double edge. Uh, force. It's important uh, to, uh, as an institution, I think, to keep this in mind, to keep the positive aspect of uh, transforming, but also to try to create a kind of internal structure within the institution to safeguard uh, the ethical or the conceptual mission of the site. Okay, good point. I, I, I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to let Mikey have the last word on this. Um, um, please, Mikey. How difficult to have the last word. Very short on my side. I would like to highlight this uh, last exchange. The content of the permanent proposal, of the permanent standing of the museum is based on judiciary witnesses, a witness of the survivors. What I mean here is that this is the foundation of the museum, the judiciary witnessing, not just witnesses given in interviews simply or 
content expressed by poems or books. The permanent standing of the museum is based on judiciary witnessing of the survivors. Plus, well, the institution, as he has well said, we need to have other tools, other strategies and mechanisms to hold the museum live and get closer to the youth. The youth is the largest audience of our museum. And these tools are the memory pedagogy and all the other tools that the museum holds from being women in ESMA that I mentioned before, all the way to the visits at five o'clock, the visits that we perform every um, last day of the month. The uh, convening topic was the works on memory, the films related to memories, the books, poetry or poems, artistic installations. And also I would like to highlight that for us, it is a big concern in the framework of this candidacy all this strategic plan that has to foresee the consequences, possible consequences of being included in the World Heritage List. One of them is the expansion and massification of the visits related to tourism. I mean, just that, Alia. It's a good place to end. Um, we have so many questions here that we couldn't quite address, but I hope that we were able to, in summation, do them because I'm very conscious that we're, we are going to be have to end at 8.30, um, you know, Abu Dhabi time. Um, so I hope we were able to address most of them. There will be a recording of this um, available, and I think uh, it will be of great value um, because you, we heard some very interesting things. Um, before we leave, I want to um, first thank all three of our speakers for joining us today from uh, uh, Buenos Aires and Amsterdam and Cape Town. Um, we're, we're moving out of Zoom, but it's nice when there is Zoom to be able to bring the world together this this much. Um, and I also want to take a time to thank uh, um, Nahid uh, um, from the NYU Institute for um, handling multiple logistics for this particular event. Um, and also to thank uh, Robert Partasius at the Dakar Center for Heritage Studies and also Veronica Pereira at the Center for Heritage at Dakar Center because she really um, juggled a lot of balls as well to make this happen. Um, it's such a fascinating topic and it's so uh, interesting to have this conversation. So I'm sorry that we have to end it, but um, thank you again. And um, maybe we'll do this again in person. Um, and especially, I think we're all curious to see what happens to both these sites as they're both evolving. Um, okay, thank you everyone and um, good night. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website, www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute.